And still Ricky Villa. What a fantastic run. He scored. Amazing goal. Well in the storm, haven't they? Here's Harry Kane. Kane goes for Hey, welcome to the Stateside Spurs podcast. Here we are um, after a 4 0 drumming of Sheffield United. We are one man light today. Uh, Chris is uh, blessed enough to, to bring in a new child into this world and uh, born today, right, Austin? Yeah, he said he already had uh, his first Spurs kid. Eight, pound, son, so. eight, eight pounds, two ounces. Let me pull up the chat real quick. This is important. Eight pounds, two ounces. Yeah, eight pounds, two ounces. Healthy um, baby boy. So congratulations, Chris. He, he will be out for sure this week. Uh, and any of those who are familiar with newborns in the household, it may be uh, next week as well. We'll see. We'll play that by ear, but need need, need uh, to pod. The pod goes on without Full Chris. disclosure, neither of us two are familiar with the needs of a newborn in the household so. we are not we're i'm just saying based off of what uh what i feel like we I defer be we defer to chris <laughs> we defer to chris on when he's available so hopefully yeah. you will find some time in the near future before but i know season. that chris is happy you know I, I will speak for chris that that victory on, on on sunday was it sunday or saturday all my days are mixed up it was sunday sunday yeah yeah it was a late kick uh, sunday too it was so Let's just jump straight into this. I think there's a lot of good talking points uh, on this game, not because, not just because we won 4-0, but because of this lineup that started. Um, man, Austin, if I would have told you six months ago that we'd see <laughs> Delhi, Bale, Sun, and Kane starting uh, the final five, four matches of this Premier League season, what would you have said? Uh, I possibly would have said Mourinho got fired. <laughs> and rehired? <laughs> all within that time frame i mean it, it's something that as spurs fans when we made those signings in the summer uh we were looking forward to this lineup right i mean i was um before delhi's everton halftime collapse i was looking forward to seeing what the, this front four could do um was this something that you ever thought we would see i mean with bail being on loan did you ever think we would see this I was dubious of when we would see Bale or in what capacity we'd see Bale. And then I guess I was I was taking your question a little bit out of context because I was thinking, you know, after the first few months of Bale being back, it seemed like Mourinho had no interest in, in, in using him. So Yeah, it was Bale too. I don't know. Bale and Dele, both of them, I would say even three months ago, we, we didn't think this would happen. You know, Bale, and then that's the thing, you know, <laughs> you can see what Gareth Bale brings to the table, right? Um, he's world class. He's world class. He doesn't have to have the pace that he had, you know, eight nine years ago. Should even five years ago. He he had three opportunities this game, Austin, and he finished all three. It's well, like I, having like, another Harry Kane on your team, essentially. I'd like to I, I'd like to reiterate a uh, a stat that I sent the group. Um, in 16 appearances in the Premier League, Gareth Bale has nine goals and two assists. In 26 appearances, Aubameyang has 10 goals, two assists. So he basically has the same goal output and goal contributions as Arsenal's best attacking player uh, in seven or ten less games. I mean, 
he he just he maximizes opportunities. That's what Gareth Bale does. And I know there's some people out there that, especially Jose loyalists, they'll say, well, he hasn't he didn't show up in big games. But what big games is he given a chance in? When we weren't sitting back and only had twenty percent of the ball, I mean, he's a player that needs the ball. Yeah. And when we have possession and we give him the ball, we see what he does with it. I mean, in that first half, he had one chance, and it was a it was a well timed run and a flick. Like the lightest little toe flick over the keeper. How many times does that get screwed up by by you know even good Premier League players? Yeah, that, that's a good shot. I mean, you know, you have to have possession. What we've seen, you know, and granted, we have to take it with a grain of salt. We had Southampton and Sheffield in the league, and so two of two of the the two worst teams in the league based on form in the past uh, four months, five months essentially. But you know, we had possession that was that that game on sunday was one of the best games i've seen us play this season um and i still am, i'm gonna put a very uh i'm gonna temper my expectations for this game on, on this weekend on, on saturday against leeds because while leeds aren't world beaters they also aren't bottom of the table and so i i like to think that we've turned a corner austin how have we turned a corner is this the way we'll be playing soccer for the rest of the season or are we going to revert back to, you know, when we play Leicester in a couple weeks' time, where we sit back and, and we don't know what to do defensively? I mean, you, let me ask this question to kind of make, make it easier on you. Our defense has looked stellar the past three games. The center back pairings, uh, even against City, all the pressure we we, uh, we we took on. But I think the game against Southampton and Sheffield could be a, our defense is better when we're in possession, right? When we're not soaking up the pressure. Uh, I, I think. And so go ahead, yeah, go ahead. What are your thoughts on that? I was just gonna say, I, I to, to take right what I hear in your question is, I, I think the players that we have available to play in defense are still Pochettino defenders, and they were bought and trained to defend with us in possession. And what that means is there's bigger, there's more space in front of them, so they're not they're not tracking both attackers and midfielders. They're tracking one on one uh one-on-one kind of situations right when we were absorbing tra- pressure under Jose Mourinho our both our center backs had to track the the forwards the wingers and midfielders making runs it's like they had to have you know kind of three-dimensional or you know three different three-directional kind of awareness when we have possession and we push the ball further up the pitch Dyer and Toby just have to manage the one forward that's around them and they show their class in those situations. You know, Dyer is still still shows that he's a good defender when it's just one v one. You know, um, and so yeah, when we have the ball, and Gareth Bale's kind of said this. He said, when we have the ball and we push it further up the pitch, and we and we keep the ball further up the pitch, our team seems much more comfortable. And it's not just our defense; it's our midfield too. Yeah. Lo Celso didn't have the best game. Delhi seemed rusty, but our midfield controlled that game. I know it was just Sheffield, but you saw a a kind of a quartet of possession on the left with Regulon, Hoybear, Deli, and Son. And then on the right side, you saw Lo Celso, Aurier, and Bale linking up. And you saw a cohesive midfield strategy of holding on the ball and then moving it forward. Under Jose Mourinho, our midfield never really had a good strategy of how to, one, win the ball and hold it, but then move it forward. And our defense thrives when our midfield is able to get the ball away from them, so to speak. You know, we're not one of these teams that can just sit back and have 
you know, big tall towers just sit there and win every header and win every ball that comes in. You know, our defenders like to have space in front of them. And it showed. I mean, they just look so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, that's a good shot. I mean, we our, our midfield looked pretty good. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think to, to kind of mimic what you said, Los also didn't have an amazing game. Uh, I think he played better after he got stamped on the face. Um, Dude, he and, got like a Seth Rollins curb stop. That was we're gonna we have to get to that later. Yeah, we'll, I'm we'll, still we'll get to that for sure. Uh, and I think that Delhi Delhi brought a lot of energy that I think a lot of fans have been wanting to see. Um, he had a bucket work. full of rust, but his energy, his work rate was not. Yeah, and he was placing. You know, I watched, I rewatched the highlights today, and he was placing some really solid passes um, across the pitch. He played the ball through to Ra that set up Bale's uh, third goal. Um, and then let's talk about Ra. I mean, Ra had a what a game by Ra. And this is the thing is uh, when you give him that freedom to push up uh, because we have possession, then he he can beat a man. He can he can deliver that. He pass. was unreal. And we've even seen Ra finish. You know, in the past couple seasons, he has that finish on him too. And so, I'm, honestly, I'm so tired of seeing Spurs supporters um, beat up on Ra. He is not a terrible back, right back. He's he's a good at right back. He's a good right back. He he has well, a mistake. He has a mistake he, in there occasionally, but um, he doesn't. He had a couple of, of very loud mistakes early on in his first career, and, and supporters have never let him forget it. I mean, he's given up fewer penalties and fewer goals than than Dyer or Sanchez or Davies. Yet you see Davies still get Davies hasn't played for us in how many how many weeks because he's been injured, but you still see Davies get more credit than RDA, and that's just ridiculous. Davies is a limited player. He he's a great club man, but he has made more mistakes than RDA. It's just that RDA tends to make loud mistakes that yeah. that tend to be remembered. And it's it, it's infuriating to me because I've even seen hit, people say that he was he was at fault for the Zagreb goals when it was clearly Sissoko. Yeah. You know, he was, he was trying to him push, trying to he was trying, he was trying to bail out his midfield. Yeah. He was trying to push up on a counter and he's like, well, you got caught too far with the pitch. Well, that's what you do when you play fullbacks at attack. Sometimes yeah. you have, to have cover. I mean, you're supposed to have a cover, and if Sissoko's walking. And not covering him, it's Sissoko's fault. Like it's, it's infuriating. Super happy to not see Sissoko on the pitch. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that you knew that already. And and, and anyone that's listening to this knows how that Sissoko. Everyone on this podcast doesn't never wants to see Sissoko on the pitch again. Um, well, and and honestly, with with the way Winks is starting to to play, I mean, he's not like the world beat or anything, but he's not making that many mistakes, and he's and he's looking. I saw Winks even trying to spread the ball around a little bit. There's no reason to play Sissoko because Winks isn't like a world class. He's not Xavi out there, right? But he does have a wider passing range than Sissoko does, and there's no doubting that. So there's no reason to be playing Sissoko um, when when Winks looks to be have a little bit more confidence about him these days. Yeah, and the clear omission from this game, you know, in the past, I would you'd say, in addition to the City game, the final is as Ndombele. So let's talk about Tangi. What do you think is going on with Tangi right now? You know, I don't think it's anything going on with him. He looked like he's in good. Everything that I've seen uh, from from credible, you know, journos like uh, like Ali Gold is that he's he's in perfectly fine, um, perfectly fine um, attitude and, and energy. Is I think it's just one of those things. I wonder if Ryan Mason has difficulty communicating with him or getting his instructions into him. He knows Hisoko. He knows Winks well. And it might just be a comfort factor with Ryan Mason to where he can say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fine subbing Winks on. 
and maybe he just he he uh, is more comfortable with Loselso's play style. Loselso and Ndombele have completely different play styles, and so I'm wondering if he just doesn't really know how to get uh, what he needs out of Ndombele. Uh, uh, so I don't know what it is there tactically. I'm choosing not to read too much into it just because. He's shown that so much class for us this year in, in difficult circumstances, both for, more forward up the pitch and further back. And so I think any any manager that we hire is going to immediately look at him as one of our most talented players. And I think he's, he's still fine. I mean, I, I, I just I, I'm choosing not to read too much into it. I think it's just Ryan Mason, what he's comfortable with. And it might be a communication thing. It might be who he's able to communicate tactics to. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's a good shot. I, mean, I hope I hope that it's not something bigger than that. You know, um, we've seen the class that he has, and there's going to be a new manager coming here uh, in the next couple of months. And um, I would love to see hopefully Indomble a couple stay, of weeks. Hopefully a couple of weeks. Uh, I'd love to see Indomitable stay a part of the squad. I think that he is a building piece. You know, um, so I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we scored four goals without Kane scoring. Or, I don't That's he, crazy. I don't, I don't think he assisted in either in any of those goals. He should either. have had an assist at the end, regular and kind he of. He should uh, have, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that kind of sets the tone of, of, of where we are. When we can score goals without Kane being the, 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 the one that has to score the goals or provide the goals, we're so much more dangerous as a team, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the power of Gareth Bale, too, right? I mean, we've, we Sun has been carrying the load for a couple seasons now as that as that secondary goal scorer. But really, if you look at most of the, the top teams, you've got to have your primary goal scorer, and then you need a second and third and third option. And we, I, I guess, Erickson would have been our third option goal scorer for a while. But what Gareth Bale brings you is somebody that if you give him space, if you're if you're spending all your time marking Sun and Kane. He's gonna score goals. I mean, to see Gareth Bale score a hat trick gave me so much joy, uh, because exactly what you said is that it, we're able to to bully a relegated team without Kane even really. He had a couple chances and he and he and he blew a couple wide, but Kane didn't really need to do much but attract defenders the whole game. I mean, he didn't have to do more than that and. How many games against regular, uh, you know, relegation fodder have we played where Kane basically has to put us on his shoulders and win the game single-handedly? It felt so good for Kane to just kind of be out there and attract attention, and then we had let the supporting cast dominate a team that we have no business uh, even giving a whiff of the game to. Right? Like, I'm glad that we finally that we blew out a team that had no business being in the game to begin with. I mean, Sheffield like one of maybe the fifth worst team that I've seen in my 11 years watching the Premier League, which is crazy considering where they were last year. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just jump in the second half. Though. Let's talk about that stamp. That stamp happens in the first minute of the second half. Um, oh so there's some, there's some VAR decisions we need to discuss here, and I'm going to put these to you because you're the, uh, the, the, the biggest, the biggest uh, VAR analyst that I know in person. So, Let's talk through the first one. That's going to be the the stamp on Lucelle. So uh, I didn't see this live. Um, yeah, yeah, so, I, I know it, that was crazy that you had to catch up on that. So tell me about. Um, I mean, what what everything that I've heard and listened to. I mean, other than one or one or two people that run podcasts have said that that was a clear mistake that should have been a red card. 
Um, what makes this not a red card in, in the video assistant referee's mind? Because from my, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't even send him over to, to the screen to review it, right? So, yeah, let, 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 first of all, just to give context, um, in live action from TV viewers, it wasn't, it wasn't something we caught. Like, the play moved on, the camera really wasn't focused on it, we just see LaCelso down. I don't blame the on-field referee for missing it, right? Because the ball was gone. Uh, he had already called the foul and probably was turning around. And it happened after the initial kind of mundane foul. It was a very mundane foul. Um, Fleck then, as LaCelso goes to the ground, instead of avoiding, he's, he chooses to step over LaCelso and clearly looks down and pushes his foot down on the Celso's face. It reminded me very much of, and this is going a little ways back, I believe it was a 2012-13, maybe in the 11-12 season, when Balotelli stomped on Scott Parker, and the, and the referee didn't give a red card, and then Balotelli scored the winner, and that was kind of when we were pushing for top four at the end of the season. That's the same game that Defoe missed the game-winning goal by about an inch. Uh, he was outstretched his leg, missed it by about an inch. But but clearly looks down, stomps on Lacelso's face. Not only that, but when Lacelso finally gets up off the ground. Now, to be fair, I think one of the things working against Lacelso is that he's known to go to ground easy. Um, I think that's one thing they're working against him. But when he gets up, not only are there three streaks across his cheek, like Wolverine just slashed him, but there's a chunk over his eye, like literally a chunk over his his right eye that is taken out because all the cleats scraped across his face. So all the referee would need to do is look at LaCelso's face and know something happened. And like you said, he didn't even go to the monitor. Here's one thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking. The same video referee was in charge of the West Ham game at the weekend where they sent Balboina off. For And for people that don't know, that are listening to this, Balboina kicks, goes to clear ball, clearly gets a full foot on the ball, clears it completely, but after clearing the ball, his foot following through makes connection with the Chelsea player. I believe it was Mason Mount, but I could be wrong on yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was Mount. I think it was Mount. And it he does connect with Mount, but it's it's literally just kicking a ball, clearing it like a defender always does, and his and his follow-through happens to make some contact with Mount's, Mount's thigh. They give him a – uh, uh, I believe it was a straight red for that after review. That decision was lampooned by everybody, even Chelsea supporters. And I think that has some weight in here, too, where the video referee is saying, well, if it's at all unintentional, possibly I'm not going to give a red. But literally, we have seen Lamella was given a straight red for putting his arm out to hold somebody off. And he made contact with someone's face. That was the second yellow. But no, if you remember, it was VAR. They VAR, they, they 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 reviewed that with VAR and they upheld the they upheld the decision. I know it was a second yellow, it was, but they still VAR'd it. Um, uh, uh, they reviewed it to see if it really was a foul because the referee called it. Regardless, we've seen ticky tack things called red cards, and yet Lacelso literally gets half of his face Wolverine slashed off, and they called nothing. There wasn't even a foul given for that. There wasn't even a card given because there was already a foul committed. They gave nothing for it. And and, and, it, and, and this, is, this is my problem with VAR in England. I don't have a problem with VAR existing. My problem is the inconsistency of the VAR making decisions and not allowing the, not telling the referee, hey, 
here's an incident you go look at. Just go look at the monitor. You don't need to give them more context than that. Say, hey, there's an incident that we noticed. Please go look at the monitor. If a referee sees that, if the referee goes to the monitor and sees that, he gives a red card every time. How does he not even go to the monitor? And yet, they're perfectly fine hand-drawing, like with, with human placement in a mouse, clicking and drawing offside lines and using an armpit hair as offside and using millimeter decisions to decide offside, which rule out goals. Yet, don't allow a referee to take a look for themselves on red card offenses. It's yeah. just the inconsistency of the system, because I know you're going to go to the Sun VAR next, the, the, the inconsistency of the system to be so objective and just right down the line when it comes to ruling out a goal, yet not allowing the on-field referee to make a decision on on something that can be a, just as game-changing as a red card, it just it, it boggles my mind. And if this wasn't Sheffield and they weren't so shit, like you know that that player would have gone and scored the game, scored a goal later against us. Like against mm-hmm. Man City, the only goal that we gave up against City, now they deserve to win that game, but in the final, the only goal they scored after the 80th minute, after 80 minutes of us holding out, was a player that should have been sent off in the first half. Like you you can't take these decisions lightly and just and just say like, oh, you know, it's it's it could be unintentional. We should We should err on the side of keeping the players on the pitch. Like, Son has been sent off for less. Twice Son has been sent off for less in his yeah. first career. Like that to me, that is possibly a situation where I've seen people being given a five or ten game ban. Wasn't Dembele given a six or ten game ban for, six, for a yeah. for a for uh, a face scratched? He scratched someone eye, in the face? It's the eye gouge of Chelsea. Well, eye gouge. I mean, I don't know if he gouged his eyes. He scratched <laughs> his face for sure, but he didn't use his full cleat. And the full weight of his body to stomp on it. I mean, that could have literally blinded Lacelso. I mean, that could have ended way worse. He curb stomped him. He literally stomped on his yeah. face. And you don't give anything. It's just, uh, I mean, Lacelso took it in stride, and now he's going to be a meme forever with that bandage and ice pack over his eye uh, <laughs> that they showed at the end of the game. But gosh, and it, it's just, it, it's, it a good meme. it's a good meme. It's a good meme. How does the referee not go and take a look at that? Like, all VAR should do is say, hey, we noticed something. Please go take a look, right? Isn't that the easy way to go to, to, to handle this? I mean, yeah, you would think so. Um, and, lo- and then you let the on-field referee make the decision. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's a good point about the the call against uh, West Ham the other day against Chelsea. Maybe they've, they they got some shit for that. And- well, and Ve- I think it was Vestergaard got sent off for a very questionable red card as well uh, earlier in the day. Um, and I think... They, that, was, that was Friday, but yeah, yeah. It was well, Friday, earlier on the weekend. And I think, to me, the VAR system is set up to protect the referees instead of improve the calls in the field. And the NFL saw this for a long time until they finally fixed the system. And they still haven't fixed it completely. But if you if your primary goal is to not embarrass referees instead of getting the calls right, you might as well not have VAR at all. Yeah. That's a good shout. I mean, that that is something that I feel like it's it's a pride thing. Um, so let, let's talk about the sun goal uh, that was disallowed. Um, that those those offsides calls two years really, in a row, right? Against Sheffield. Uh, I think it was against Lucas. Lester. No, Lucas, Lucas the got handball. Yeah, yeah, the handball. The handball VAR. I think it's just more confusing to me and trying to understand this. Um, you know. 
what the purpose of this law is and the offsides if you, i think that we're getting too fine it's getting the, the lines are getting too blurry essentially as they get clear <laughs> because it you're really pulling up a screen and creating lines and trying to predict the perfect amount when it kicked in line and i don't know was he offsides austin I mean, the way they drew the lines, he looked offside. But here's here's what I pose to you. There's two things wrong. One, there's the technology. They're 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 assuming the technology is capable of making millimeter decisions when they are hand pausing the frame. Right? They have to choose what frame to pause the uh, the picture on, and they have to draw the lines themselves. Right now, the lines, the the, the three dimensional lines get automatically drawn based on where they set the two parameters. But math has shown there have been people who have literally gone and done the math because they know the frame rate that they are looking at. If they are even one frame off on when they pause the video for when the ball is kicked, that could be the difference between onside and offside based on where they draw the lines. It's super simple. They should have error bands on the lines. They should have. They should draw the lines, but then draw little error bands on either side of the line, right and left of the line of both lines. And if they overlap, you say, "Oh, it's inconclusive. We have to let the call stand." Because they're making millimeter-based decisions off of off of subjective decisions of the VAR referee of when they pause the frame and where they are saying the toe is and where they're saying the the the, the last or the most forward scoring part of the body is. So that's number one. Number two. What's the objective of the law? What is the what is the actual motive of the law? It's to prevent unfair advantages, cherry picking, right? Yeah. If a if, if an if if an attacking player is leaning forward because I don't know if you've ever run before, Colin. I know you've actually run life, <laughs> but you tend to lean forward when you run, right? You no you one do. runs leaning backwards. I don't. I've never seen someone do that. So if you're move, starting to move forward, you're gonna be leaning forward. Who scores a goal at their armpit? Uh, very rarely do you score a goal with your shoulder. It's very rare. It's like a funny blooper highlight. They should only look at the feet. That's all they should look at. It, it, very easy way to, to fix the VAR. One of two ways, and if you do both, it's completely fixed. You only draw lines off of the feet, and you draw error bands around the lines. That way you take in account the, er the human error of where they pause the frame or where they draw it, and you doubly correct for it because you're not drawing it off of freaking armpits you draw it off the feet like it's that simple i mean yeah. if you if your eyebrows offside is that really gaining an unfair advantage especially uh, when you're 60 yards away from goal uh i mean i say no but you know that maybe that's maybe the bigger problem is they just need to they need to get through the season and they need to readdress how they're they're figuring out offsides because that that just it's against, I get it's it. against I, the spirit of the game, it right? It is. And then you score a goal, and you have to wait five minutes for them to draw the lines. And, you know, if, if this was turned around the other way, yeah, would I be upset that they scored a goal against us and it was offsides? Yeah, but if it was if it was consistent, then I, I don't think that I would be upset. The problem and is would any Sheffield player be upset if a perfect pass like that is hit and Sun made a made a run and he because he was barely in the in the in the attacking half of the field? I mean, yeah. no. No. It's close enough. It's close enough. Like you don't need millimeter decisions. You just need to be able to say, is it reasonable to assume that he was onside? Like 
if 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 you draw error bands around these lines that you're drawing and it still shows he's offside, then he's clearly offside enough that the naked eye would see that. Yeah. Like if he's close enough that you have him to spend five minutes drawing fucking lines with the computer, then it kind of already tells you he didn't gain an unfair advantage. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Uh, the good thing about this conversation that we're having is that VAR did not really affect us this week. Uh, we still won 4 now. It's just more one of those things that we're going to continue to talk about because uh, it's continuing to have an effect on uh, on soccer across, across the world. Sun still got his so. goal. And it, it was an even goal. better goal. And it was a better goal, and that was huge for Sun. That confidence is huge for Sun. So, you know, th- like I said, this game from start to finish, I mean, I think what Hugo had one save to make, and it was early in the second half, and they hit it right at him. I mean, it felt like we were in control the whole game, right? For the first time in a long time. I mean, and so this is what I'm hoping, and I've, and I've listened to a lot of people, and I've read a lot of things this week, but um, I think we're slowly starting, to, the players are slowly starting to see that it's not Mourinho anymore. And, and the more that I think about this, and the more I've, I've heard different podcasts, is that Mourinho just, he destroyed the confidence in this squad so much that these are do we need some signings yes we do we don't need this huge overhaul that we were talking about a few months ago i think though um i think we need three or four key signings and And we need a few players to move on and we need a few players to move on um but we don't need to get rid of eight people or nine people and bring in seven or eight people this this is not what we need what we need is a manager that can build on the squad that we have um and then insert those new players uh, where they're needed. And so, you know, we have four games left, Austin. We are, uh, what are we, in sixth place in the table? Uh, yeah, we're just sixth now because West Ham jumped us. Sixth place in the table. Uh, Liverpool have a game in hand, but that's against United. I mean, how crazy was that? That uh, We haven't even gotten to the fact that there was a uh, there was a January 6th-like storming of Old Trafford um, that happened at the weekend that, that postponed what is usually referred to as the biggest match in England. Um, I mean, that's, I think in my eyes, that's I'm, I'm all for a protest. Um, how they had to have some inside help. There's no way you just get inside Old Trafford. I mean, you don't blame the, the, the analysts for claiming like this isn't the way you protest or whatever, but it's easy for a lot of fans to forget. And I think Colin, this may have happened right as you were starting to really watch Premier League more often, but the whole of the 2010-11 season, I think it was the 2010 season, the Manchester United supporters had a silent protest for the entire season. They didn't wear Manchester United colors in the stands for the entire season. They wore green and yellow, which is old school colors from like the beginning days of United. They didn't wear Manchester United apparel or colors for the entire year as a silent protest of the Glazers, and nothing happened. The, the Glazers didn't give one iota of a fuck. Um, and they've, they've hated the Glazers for a long time. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those things where it was a perfect combination of finally fans were able to congregate in numbers for the first time in 14 months. They've been pent up, all this pent up emotion. It was right after the Super League. Um, it was a big, huge match that they gear up for. It's like, you know, the North London Derby, but but for them, it's, they would say it's even bigger. It was just a perfect storm of emotion for these fans, and they didn't hurt anybody. I mean, maybe we don't know. Someone could possibly get COVID from this, so so I don't want to I don't want to minimize that. But um, I think some of the pundits were, were were making this a little too much about the fans and not enough about the fact that 
the Glazers to Manchester United represent everything that's wrong with with ownership of some clubs in England now. Um, and it's it was interesting to me, John Champion, who does ESPN FC coverage, they they ESPN sent over to him in, in uh, Tweller. Is it Tweller? Is that his name? Taylor Tweller? Taylor Twellman. Twellman. They sent it over to them to get to get comments. And John Champion set the table, let Twellman talk, and then they give it back to Champion. And he starts basically, in a polite English way, saying the Glazers are at fault for this. And ESPN cuts away. They literally cut his mic off and move away in the middle of the segment. Because we can't be talking negatively about the billionaires who also own an NFL franchise, yeah. right? Um, I agree with you. I mean, it, I'm glad they didn't like physically hurt anybody, and I'm glad that it, I mean, but I think this is the beginning, just the beginning. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Liverpool's game in hands against United. Who knows how that when that game's gonna be played? Yeah, there's um, some congestion for both those squads. I mean, United's still. Uh, what are they still in the um, the semifinals of the Europa League? Yeah, the game Thursday. Yep. And so, I mean, they, assuming they, they advanced, won that already. Much, yeah, they, they pretty much already advanced there. And so, yeah, they, they're going to have some fixture congestion. Um, but we're not really competing with United. We are uh, definitely competing with Liverpool for a Europe a Europe spot next year. Uh, and then Everton just did me the biggest gift of all by uh, by losing on Friday or when they lose. Oh, Aston Villa. I don't know when they lost, but they lost. I'm I'm just I'm just starting even to even to if they were to win their, everywhere even, across even, my if, <laughs> even if they were to win their game in hand, they'd still be a point behind us in seventh, and we have an easier run than they do. But it's not it's not impossible. So what I want to focus on here is uh, Austin. We have four games left in the season. We are currently seven points behind Leicester. Uh, five points behind Chelsea. Um, kind of paint me a roadmap on, on how we finish top four. Um, you know, it, it's not as crazy as you as you would think. Um, really, to get it by West Ham, we just need. We, well, first of all, we have to win our remaining games. I okay. think if we if we lose any game or drop any points, um, again, I'm going to take final match day out of it. Because that's a separate to me. That's a separate event. We have to win our next three games. If we if we drop points, it's out of our hands. So assuming we win the next three games, which playing the way we did on Saturday or on Sunday, there's no reason we shouldn't uh, have a good chance at doing that. Um, West Ham just have to drop points at any point, and we and we hold our destiny against them. For Chelsea, we need them uh, to drop points, and and I'm trying to bring up the post uh, here. I, I had it on my phone, but it dropped away there is a pretty likely scenario that um honestly it wouldn't be that crazy if all teams like five teams end up or four teams end up on 68 points at the end of the season um we we really just need west ham to drop points in any of the remaining games uh chelsea and leicester play each other so whoever loses that match, if, if there's a loss there, just has to drop points somewhere else as well. Um, assuming Chelsea lose to Man City, um, they just need to drop points against Arsenal or somewhere else, which could be Leicester. Um, and Leicester, honestly, I mean, they've looked decent in parts, but we know uh, Brendan Rodgers' teams. I mean, we, we just need United to take points off them. So, I mean... Really what it comes down to is we win our next three games and Chelsea don't win everything. 
we could go into the final two weeks with really it in our hands. And, and, and I really, I'm, I'm kicking myself right now because there the was, no, the well, the, it was the hope, in. but uh, there, <laughs> here you go. Here it is. Here it is. Okay. I'm going to give you a, I'm gonna, I'm, for each of the teams from fourth down to Liverpool. Okay. I'm going to give you a scenario of that team's run-in, of, of results. And you tell me if it's probable, plausible, or unlikely. Okay? okay. All right. So probable means most likely going to happen. Plausible could happen. Unlikely, you don't think it's going to happen. So you're yeah. an odds guy. So you can assign whatever odds you think okay. to those. Chelsea for Chelsea. They lose the City. They That's beat probable. Arsenal. And they draw Leicester. So they beat uh, All they three of those City. happening? So, so they lose the city, beat Arsenal, but draw with Leicester. Why don't you just say okay, four no, points no, no, out so, of those so, three games? Or we have to go exactly? Well, okay, so four points out of those three games. But yes, that's, that's, but that's, that's most likely scenario. Plausible. Plausible. Leicester, beat Newcastle, lose to United, draw Chelsea. So that's four points out of those three games. Plausible. Tottenham win all three games. Unlikely. Okay, that's the that, that that is the the crux here. West Ham win three but draw against Everton in their next four. Who are their three? Uh, they're playing. I mean, I not very good teams. They're playing. They, so they've already beat Burnley, so that's the one. They play Brighton and West Brom uh, and Everton in the next three. So they've already beat Burnley. This and this post was written. And Southampton. Oh, just, Southampton's final match day. day. Yeah, I'm not doing uh, final match day. So, so they, win two so, and yeah, that's win two and draw that's, one. That's probable. Uh, Liverpool win three and draw against United. Their matches are uh, so after United is Southampton, West Brom, Burnley. So win three, draw one out of those four. Yeah, that's probable. Maybe okay. plausible. I think they could beat United, but. Uh, so if those things happen, and you said the most unlikely out of all of those is us winning three, right? Yeah. Here's what final match day would look like. Leicester have 68 points in third. Tottenham have 65 points in fourth. Le- Chelsea have 65 points in fifth. West Ham have 65 points in sixth. Liverpool have 64 points in seventh. One- <laughs> so... You literally, if we beat Leicester on final match day in that scenario, you literally could have four teams, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, all finish at 68 points. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing is, if that scenario does happen, which is not very likely, because all of that, that's a perfect storm. That but is a perfect that storm. Scenario, that's chaos theory. If that scenario does happen, then we'll be, we're tied on goal difference right now with Chelsea and Leicester. So we would be essentially ahead of them because they would have been dropping points and we would have been winning exactly. all these games. That's assuming. So yeah, then we just need to go games. into the final game and win and we're guaranteed top four. So, so really, I mean, it's not that implausible to think that Chelsea get four points out of city, Arsenal and Leicester. That's actually a pretty good return out of those three games. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a good chance they could get zero points. In those three games. Right. I'm um, Leicester. They could beat Newcastle, even though they just drew against the worst team, the Newcastle. Uh, United and Chelsea to get one point out of those two games, that's not improbable at all. I mean, that any team would have trouble against United and Chelsea back-to-back. Um, West Ham and Liverpool just need to have one draw out of their next few games. Yeah. Really, as long as we win our next three, we have a good shot of having it all to play for against Leicester on final match day, which no Spurs fan wants, because that means we go into final match day with basically a top-four playoff game. And the anxiety 
might kill a few of us. Honestly, sorry for the yawn. It's a little late. I'm, uh, I'm not boring you. It's okay. No, I was saying honestly, at, at this point, like, um, we just have to. It's so cliche because I, I, I watched Ryan Mason's press conference, but just one game at a time. Just so one let's game talk at about time. that then. Let's talk about that then. Based on the way we're playing. I said last podcast that the Leeds game scares me the most because no top six team has gone to two leads and to Ellen Road and won. However, I think we match up really well against Leeds. I think out of the top six teams, we really like it when a team opens up against us. Um, and our, our attacking players, Sun is finally picking up steam again. Bale is clearly on form. We, Kane, you can you, you always assume Kane's on form. We have Adeli, Lacelso, and Dot. We have so many attacking players. I mean, I think we kind of match up really well against Leeds. And Wolves are already on vacation. And, you know, Villa, by the time we play them, are going to have nothing. Are really going to, they already have nothing to play for. They're not making Europe. But um, as long as we get past Leeds, I kind of like our odds, no? I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Wolves are not playing well right now. Um, Villa, if they get Grealish, is Grealish back? To me, it really does. I, I haven't seen them play very well. I mean, they just even... beat, they beat Everton. Um, just on Saturday. Um, I'm just trying to see if Grealish was back. Um, no, not even on the bench. So, yeah, I do think Leeds are the most dangerous team because they, you just, they they have they, they get they results have the capability, yeah they have the capability to score goals um, or get a no no being, draw with Chelsea or the, yeah. they can grind out those types of games too. So I think it's just the unpredictability of Leeds. You know you kind of know what you're going to get to going against Villa and that's at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium I do believe. And then Wolves uh, Wolves is a tough, going to Molyneux is not easy. So no, but I'm glad well. we're playing Wolves at this point in the season, right? If we were playing Wolves back in March, I would be a lot uh, less confident. But, I mean, Wolves got spanked by Burnley for now. I mean, you, you don't want to read too much into it, but I think, I think Wolves at this point in the season, when they're not really playing for much, I think it's a much easier proposition than when you're playing Wolves in the middle of the season and they're That's still true. kind of swashbuckling. Yeah, I mean that's a good shout. Let's just let's go straight over to the, the Leeds preview. Then we play early early kickoff here, six thirty in the morning uh, in Texas. Um, I'll get Wait, to is this six thirty your time? Yeah, it's twelve thirty uh, London. Oh yeah, so. I have a seven thirty kick. Wow. Yeah, barely so. enough time to get a couple 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 cups of couple cups of coffee. That's tough to say. Yeah. Alliteration. Couple cups of coffee. Couple cups of coffee. Couple cups of coffee. Um, I get to watch it before we head to Colorado, so I'm I'm excited because I I will not miss the game. But let's just talk about what we expect. You won't to be see. watching it in the cab. I won't. Uh, <laughs> my stepdad's cab. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about what we expect to see the lineup here. I mean, he's kind of shown us three different lineups in three different games. So, Except for the back four. Yeah, the back four I think is nailed on, right? Um, yeah, I would. Poor Roden. I feel bad for Roden. Counting Hugo back five. Yeah. Counting Hoiberg back six. Back six. <laughs> yeah, so really we have – and then you count Kane and Son who are starting. That's eight. Yeah, so it's basically three positions. So three we players. have three positions. We have who's going to play next to Hoiberg and then who's going to be the other attacking players. Who's going to be the number 10 and who's going to play out on the right. Yeah. So you want me to go first or you? 
I mean, I'll take it. You're those. I'll take all it right. first. I mean, if we're assuming all eight of those players are playing, which I think we should absolutely assume in case there's some, unless there's some bad lasagna in the mix. Um, I, I, I think I don't want LaCelso to play again. I, not because I, I dislike him or anything. I think LaCelso needs, needs to sit. And I also think a player like Ndombele really fits a game against Leeds where we're going to want a player that can hold people off and can slow the tempo down and can, and can pick a pass, a more, a more kind of dedicated pass than LaCelso, who's much more of a Lamella type. He likes to run with the ball at his feet. He's a much more chaotic. He's more of a chaotic force in the midfield where Ndombele is more of a possession oriented player, right? Um, there's going to be space in this game. Every game, yes. you watch more Leeds matches than I do. And every Leeds match I've watched, there it's is open. space all over the pitch. It's like watching a freaking NBA game. It's just it's just spacing for days. And I think that fits Ndombele so well because he can get in little pockets of space, draw players to him, turn them. I mean, imagine if Ndombele receives the ball and turns one Leeds player. There's like 40 yards of space in front of him at that point, right? Yeah. Um but if we if 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 Mason continues the trend of not playing in Dombele, it's possible it might see winks. Um, you know we don't know what what Lacelso's health is after getting stomped in the head. I mean honestly, I'm surprised he's not concussed. I'm not I'm not even making I'm he not didn't trying to come make a joke right away though, right? No, he didn't, and that's cra- I mean he did get checked. Um, we know the concussion protocol in 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 England is, is shit, and no one knows that better than Ryan Mason. Um, and so there's a possibility there that Mason might take that into consideration. I, I have a feeling the Celso starts again, but I you'll really see, I think you'll see Winks if you don't see Celso. And and I and I hate that because I really think this match suits Ndombele, but there's no reason Bale doesn't play again. Fresh off a hat trick, this game's going to be open. Leeds defends very openly. There's going to be pockets of space. I think the question is then the number ten position. So so I answered two of them. Colin, do we see Delhi again? Do we see the return of Lucas? Because there's going to be space everywhere. Do we want Lucas running into the Wait, space? Wait, so give me, give me the two that you said. Because you said you want to see Ndombele. I think Ndombele. Bale. I want Ndombele, but I think it'll be Lo and Bale. Yeah, I, I don't think you can take Bale out either. So I, I would say it's a guarantee. So now you're just arguing two spots. It's it's Who is it? Lo Celso, Ndombele, or Winks? Um, and is it Delhi or Lucas? Those are the two in my eyes that are yep. the Yep, I think the we're in agreement there. And I think that... I wouldn't be surprised if you see Lucas instead of Delhi because um, Delhi, I mean, he didn't play a bad game. No one really played a bad game on Sunday. so uh, Just average games. We had a few average. average games, yeah. And I would like to see Ndombele. I think if, if this is the game to see, you know, if, does Mason have something against Ndombele or uh, is this um, is this just like he just didn't fit in for those few games? And so I, with that being said, I don't think we'll see Ndombele. I think we'll see Los Oso. <laughs> So I think it's going to – I think I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he just runs it back. Runs it back. Well, yeah. I mean, there's something to be said. A young manager, it works. Run it back. Um, and we haven't done that all year. And so for me, it's like I kind of just want to see the same lineup. <laughs> I mean, not that I wouldn't love to see Ndombele slide in or I don't think that Lucas could do a job where Dele is playing. But I just want to see some consistency. And th- we ha- that's something that's been really – absent this season is that no consistency across the back line other than Kane, Son, and Hugo and Hoiberg, no one's cemented the place yep. in the squad. Maybe Regulon. You could maybe argue Regulon when yeah, healthy. Maybe Regulon. But, 
But other than that, the other six five positions have been constantly rotating. Yep. And by doing that, if you're not playing good, then you never get a chance to build any chemistry. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he just runs it back, honestly. Just Wait, I guess. If, if you were Ryan Mason, do you think this type of match fits Lucas, though, considering the amount of space that's out there on the pitch for Lucas? Lucas clearly thrives, right, in matches where he can run at, def- at defenders with pace with the ball at his feet. Yeah, it does. But then I think of like, you know, there was a moment in that Sheffield game where Kane hits that ball or Delhi's making that run behind the lines for him. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, that's what Delhi does. And yeah. we've missed that so much this season. Oh, yeah. And if Kane's going to drop back to pick the ball up, that's where Delhi thrives. Not, not, that's not where Lucas thrives. Lucas thrives, uh, I think, in a more counterattacking, not in a possession style. Yeah. Game. I think that's so a good shout. If we're going to have the possession, then I think Delhi's the play here. Um, and if we're going to not have the possession, then I think Lucas would be the play here. Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as open as Leeds play, their fitness is second to none, and they get behind. They they'll go they'll push forward, but they get back. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do. So you have to you have to counter quick. Um, I think like a team we're, full of marathon runners. We're going to find incredible. We'll find holes in their defense and their midfield if we play the ball quickly to feet. And, and that's why I want to not play to play because we'll have. We'll have runners behind the ball. I, I would love to see him double it, too. Don't, don't I mean, because if I'm wrong, but it's also give you, not just because he's Argentinian, I don't want to make that lazy analysis, but he gives me strong Lamella vibes. He holds onto the ball just a half it's, step it's too late. It's funny that you said that because I was All the time. Uh, the PSG City game today, and Di Maria got a red card, and they're talking about the Argentinian temper. <laughs> Oh yeah, we we know about that. Lamelo Lucas and then, you know Pochettino's there, um, but yeah, I agree. I I still am not convinced on Los Also in general. He could be someone I'd be happy with selling with this summer if we could get back close. I think he's had a rough year. I, he played really well last year. Um, I, I don't want to pull pull the plug on Los Also completely. Um, I think he's had a rough year because of injury and because of turbulence. I think him and Ndombele still need another year, but. As of right now, I think he's struggling to find his feet, and I just I have this feeling that the lead game is just a perfect Ndombele game. Like it's it's a type of game where we want that type of player in there, and I I, don't, I I guess you're right. It's a litmus test to see if Ryan Mason knows how to use Ndombele or wants to use him. Yeah, um, and if he doesn't use Ndombele, then I think that's a big sign too uh, on Sunday. On on Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, yeah. Saturday, we actually um, have a Saturday game for once. Yeah, no, my week's been messed up. It's been, yeah, it's been all day yesterday in LAX, so not fun. Um, so let's do predictions then. We got Leeds at Ellen Road. It's the first time I've ever seen us play at Ellen Road. Um, yeah. I don't think I've seen any cup games, but my my time as a Spurs supporter. So uh, I think they knocked us out of a cup like seven or eight years ago. I, I don't, I, I, okay. I have a, I have a feeling yeah, I saw yeah. that somewhere, but I don't know for sure. It must've been before I watched every single game. So I didn't see it, but uh, I'm going to go first here. I'll let you think about this prediction. Yeah, go for game. it. I'm going to give a four, two Tottenham win. Four, two, four, two. And that's going to be Bale gets a goal. Kane gets a brace and Delhi gets a goal. Delhi gets a goal. Yeah. Okay. Bring in Delhi back. I I Kane pretty much solidifies Golden Boot. With the, with the I want Kane to to get both, man. What do they call? 
what do they call the um what do they call the uh, assist winner do they have a name for that uh not that i know we did play leads by the way back in 2000 uh 2013 and i think we lost that match <laughs> and uh, in the FA Cup, we lost. And yeah, we lost two one. They knocked us out of the FA Cup, January twenty thirteen at Ellen Road. So that's the last time we played there. Um, I think, you know, I think it's actually going to be more of like a two nil type type situation. We we won three nil last time, right? Colin, is that correct? We won uh, I believe it was three nil. Yes. I think our defense is playing really well. We're going to hold possession. I know Leeds can get goals. I know they are a very attack-minded side. Um, but I think, you know, with their back three and the way they push forward, I just have a feeling that that, that our midfield's going to play really well and be constantly getting at their back line. I'm going to say 3-1. I think maybe we go up 3-0, they get a goal back in the second half. Um, or, you know, it's 2-1 and we score a third goal. But I, I'm thinking more 3-1, and I think Bale gets another goal. I think uh, he's on fine form, and I think Bale gets another goal. And I really hope Kane gets at least an assist, if not an assist, then a goal. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking Bale gets a goal, um, and Kane gets either a, an assist or a goal, gets a goal contribution. All right. That's two victories. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and predict Chris's uh, 6-0 victory, and that's three <laughs> victories. So uh, I would like Chris, to say I got the score right uh, for the Sheffield game. You said 3-0, right? I said 4-0 with a bail brace and a cane brace, so I was oh, slightly yeah, yeah, wrong on that. Yeah, That's impressive. The first time put, I've gotten the score right all year. should have put a tenor on it. Uh, last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here is uh, you know, the manager carousel. Um, it has, honestly, oh, ever fuck. since uh, Ten, Ten Hag... Am I saying his yep. name right? I Ever since so. he re-signed his deal with Ajax, I've just stopped watching. I'm like, <laughs> when it happens, it happens. I'm like, I'm tired of like chasing we, it. We, where, we, where are we, we at, Austin? Where are we at in finding a new manager for this week? Well, what's been happening is as soon as somebody posts a tactical write-up video of a manager, the next day that manager is is ruled out of, of being in the race to be hired. <laughs> so that's what's happening. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of steam of, of of Spurs Sports wanting Potter from uh from Brighton and I'm just not sold on that because I just I think we're past the days of of signing a a lower Premier League table manager that that looked promising. Um, you know, Brendan Rogers said he has no interest. I think most of us I think all three of us at the podcast said that Rogers makes no sense anyways. Why would he leave Leicester right now? Um you know, I've seen most recently the the head coach or that the manager at uh, at Atalanta. I think it's Gasparini, Gaspar something. I'm sorry, I don't, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, they play a really awesome three four two one formation. They've had two really great years. He's an older coach though. Um, I just I think so many names are just getting thrown out there now. Uh, you know, Allegri's been thrown out. Uh, Martinez, uh, Roberto Martinez, who's the Belgian coach, has been thrown out there. Southgate's been thrown out there. I have no freaking clue, Colin, because here's here's where Levy's decision is difficult. If he doesn't get a big name, right, a name that 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 moves headlines, a name that has weight, 
why would you sign somebody that is slightly unproven at big clubs that may not understand the culture at Spurs or what we want to impose here and not just do what Chelsea did with Lampard? And, I mean, it's, it's becoming apparent to me that Chelsea didn't keep Lampard on because they thought he was going to be a long-term solution, I think they always knew he was going to be a, a make-weight. They always knew that, oh, they had a transfer ban in 2019-20. We'll see how long Lampard can get us, and as soon as a big-name manager becomes available, Thomas Tuchel, they'll be quick to pull the plug. Yeah. Why would why would Levy make a signing of you know Graham Potter or or any of these coaches that just don't really move the needle? at this crucial moment. And I think part of this is going to be, where do we finish the season? If we finish top four, the pressure on this, on this announcement, on this hiring becomes that much greater, right? Because champions League's only guaranteed for one year. If we finish sixth, then we're in Europa league again. Why wouldn't you just give Ryan Mason the, the reins for a little bit longer, knowing full well, he's not going to be a long-term solution unless he just amazes us. Right and wait for the right name to come along. I mean, I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting because we also need to make an early signing so that we can start getting players who aren't the Euros into the new system. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's There aren't any big names out there. Right? No, there's, just there's not. That's why I think that's another reason why I stopped looking. It's like, even whoever who we saw, I'm not going to get super excited about. So, I mean, I would, I would, like, like, to, to, I would like to clear up. There is some online hate for Roberto Martinez, like hatred for the, for the idea that we would even be linked with this guy. Maybe it's because he's been a pundit while he's been the Belgium manager, and maybe it's because at the last World Cup they didn't exactly finish as high as everyone said, but they're the number one national team in the world. And I know his time at Everton was great. Yeah. So it would probably be after the Euros. And that's why most people are saying we were not going to get him or Southgate because we couldn't announce it until after the Euros. Um, but I don't understand why that would be the worst thing in the world. Why is why is is it Graham? It's Graham Potter, right? Is yeah, Graham, Potter. Graham. Why would Graham Potter be such like such a great signing? Like, yeah, he's a he's managed to keep Brighton up, and yeah, we struck gold with Pochettino, but you could just as easily strike out with a manager who plays attacking football but doesn't know how to manage you know the level of talent that we have at 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 Tottenham. Like I would rather get a manager that's used to dealing with superstars. It's used to dealing with those personalities than getting someone who's a sparky we're past the days, I guess is what I'm saying. And and we can well, at one point we'll probably talk about this with, with Jose Mourinho. We are past the days of being this this funky punching above their weight club. I think Jose came to us because he thought, oh, I couldn't make it anymore at Manchester United with all these prima donnas. I'm going to go to this this spunky little club, Tottenham Hotspur, that are full of all these, you know, blue-collar athletes that would just love to play for a manager that's that that like like me. And then he got here and realized we have more Deli Alleys in our side than we do Harry Kane's, right? We have more players that are like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm great at football, but I also have a brand. I also have social media presence. I'm also uh, – you know, a company on to myself. Like I have other considerations than football. And he realized, oh shit, Spurs are more like United than they are like Everton. And that's why it didn't work. And now he's going to Roma, right? Why would we get somebody that doesn't know how to manage 
at a big time club. It just doesn't make sense from Levy to go from Mourinho to Grant Potter. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, and I agree. why wouldn't you just stick with your boyhood, your boyhood guy in Ryan Mason? At least the fans will back him. I mean, Even, they will. They will for a little bit. We'll never hate him. Even if he does bad, we'll say, okay, please get us a new manager, but we'll always love you, Ryan Mason. Like he could never do anything in my mind that would make us not love him. So if you're Daniel Levy and you have this Super League nonsense and all this other stuff that's hanging your head PR-wise, why wouldn't you just stick out Ryan Mason if there's no big name out there, right? I mean, I, I if Ryan Mason wins out and gets us the Champions League, or why not? Even, if just, even if it just wins out, why not? If you're going to bring me a Grand Potter, why not? Uh, if you're going to – if for some reason we get Champions League and we knock Brendan Rodgers out of Champions League, do I want Brendan Rodgers if he can't close a deal for Champions League? All these people are like, no. oh, if, PS, if PSG lose the title because they're in second place now in, in Ligue 1. If, if, if Ligue they're 1. in second Is place? Ligue 1? Oh, yeah, Lille's, Lille's pipped them and they're four games to go. And they just got kicked out of Champions League. People are like, oh, does Pochettino get, get sacked? Can we get him back? Why would we want to hire him back right now? I, mean, like, I, would if take, he could, I would take Pochettino. <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't. That's a whole separate subject. But but why would you want to take a, a, play, a, a manager that just collapsed? Like, why would you want to do that? What kind of statement does that does that does that send? I, I never understood Pochettino to PSG anyways. Too many big profiles. Too many big names. It won't play for the badge. But that when it's not a Pochettino podcast. I, no, no, no. So, I, so I, 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 Brendan, think, I don't want Brendan Rodgers if he can't. If it's between Ryan it. Mason or Graham Potter, do we really want to be the club that fires – Jose Mourinho, the most winningest coach in modern football history, and then we hire Graham Potter. Only if Graham Potter takes us to the promised land. I mean, yeah, hindsight is <laughs> 2020, right? But even Pochettino, which everyone loves, didn't win shit in five and a half years, right? So I just, it, to me, unless we have a, get a get a manager that moves the needle, so to speak, to use you know, PR political lingo, what's the point? Yeah. That's a good point, man. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that um, maybe it is Mason's job to lose. I don't know. I mean, all I, – I don't know. I don't think it – I don't – it's so hard to think that he could – he is capable of managing this club at 29 with the lack of experience. What a story. What a so story. Who has a better story than Brandon the Broken? He would, he would definitely need to rebuild – his coaching team, his coaching staff, to have some some support. There. You know what? I've seen some some movement on that I could get behind is Ralph Ragnick, who is has this huge long coaching tree, uh, Austrian German coaching tree, which includes people like Nagelsmann, who were assistant coaches in his tree, yeah. um, Hassan Hudel, even Klopp. He basically invented the eigenpress, right? That he he changed a possession based or this, this kind of, he changed German football to a back four counter-pressing style and it basically took over. And he's more of a director of football. So I've seen some movement on, well, if you could bring him in, but keep Ryan Mason on the staff, you have someone like him for a fa- handful of years while you groom someone like Ryan Mason, and then he moves to the director of football and you let Ryan Mason or Ledley King take over. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like, I would be fine if we're bringing somebody in as, like, the manager, but Ryan Mason still has a big uh, – Ryan Mason or Ledley King are allowed to develop as coaches. Like, I get uh, something like that because Ragnick would be a big – would be a big name. He has a big name in, within football. He's maybe not the layman fam, but he – Leipzig and RB uh, Salzburg are two clubs that he basically is credited with rebuilding. Um 
and we see what Leipzig is now, right? Um, so I would be okay with that. That would be a that would be a, a a hire that I'd be all for. And I think his I think there's been rumors that his agent has made inquiries to Spurs and say, hey, he's available. So if that's the case, I would How old be is he? for that. He's in his fifties. He's in his mid to late fifties, I think. Okay. So he's not he's not too old. Um, he's younger than Mourinho. I will say this: you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy, right? What you want to be is the guy that replaces the guy who replaced the guy. By that I mean no you one know. replacing Pochettino was going to succeed. Yeah. Very unlikely. Yeah. But Mourinho yeah. has cleansed our palate. We are ravenous as Spurs supporters to get behind a new manager, right? Yeah, we can't wait. Any manager that comes in is going to have an instant approval rating with Spurs fans, and we are just going to be so happy for them. Apparently, unless it's Gareth Southgate or Roberto Martinez. But, <laughs> um, you know, Ryan Mason, between Mason and Mourinho, our palate is cleansed. We are just ready for a for a manager to come in that we can somewhat back. And I think – of all the names I've seen, Ragnik is, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name right, I believe it's an Austrian name, so I may not be pronouncing it correctly. Um, I'll forgive you. You're trying. Let's have please, battle. Uh, uh, apologies to all of our Austrian fan base out there. Um, <sighs> if he is Austrian, I could be wrong about that too, actually, to be honest. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. He's the one name that I've done some research into about his his coaching tree, his coaching style, his way he builds football clubs, not just as a manager, but director of football that I would be behind. Um, elsewhere, I'm just like, it's just a bunch of names. I'm just like, why? Like, yeah, what I would that do? I can't really get excited about a bunch of those names, but I can get excited about someone who taught Jurgen Klopp how to play or how to coach. Uh, sign me up for that. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, anything else you want to say before we head out of here? Um, I, at some point, we're going to have to have a separate podcast about how many goals we've been robbed, of, how many Gareth Bale goals we've been robbed of this season. Because he Damn was not shame, played. dude. What, what are the odds you think he's coming back next year? I think there's pretty good odds because Bale, because Real Madrid have no chance of selling him for a permanent on his last, the last year of his contract. No one's going to pay a transfer fee and take on all of his wages. So if they can reduce his wages by, they can save 200k. Uh, we'll we'll snap him up that. And so you know the, what the math I've seen is it might cost us 15 million pounds to pay his wages for the season. Is there anybody that we're going to get for 15 million pounds in this transfer window, in this transfer market that's going to give us the quality that Gareth Bale does? No. So no. it's it, it makes too question, much though. sense for all parties. Gareth Bale wants to be in London. He wants to play for Spurs. He wants to be somewhere he's loved. We want a goal scorer that can take weight off Simon Kane's hands, uh, off their shoulders. Real Madrid want to alleviate some of the the wage budget. I think it's a, I think it's more likely it happens than it doesn't. To be honest, um, could something happen that prevents it? Sure, but no big club, no clubs coming in with a big transfer fee. With him only having one year left on his on his contract to uh, to prime away from Madrid, I think he plays for us one more year and then he goes to the United States to play for two or three years and, and live somewhere in a cool place like on the West Coast or something or in Florida. Honestly, I can see him going to Florida because he can play golf year round. Um, and not that's not even a joke. Like or California, you can go somewhere. Like FC LA. FC Miami, you can see him go, or is it Miami FC? What is it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever the fuck their name is, uh, you can definitely. 
he would love Miami. Garrett Bale would fit in Miami so perfectly. Like, why wouldn't he go to Miami and play golf year-round and make a shit ton of money and not have to try very hard and still score goals? Get that Zlatan treatment. That's what I think is going to happen. I think we'll get him next year. I honestly think there's a good chance. That'd be huge, man. If we Can you imagine if we had a full season of Gareth Bale? We would be in top four right now. And he still has to be motivated because, yeah, the Euros will be over, but World Cup 2022 is right around the corner. That's true. Well, that's a good shout. Gareth Bale to return next season. That would be huge. Um, you know, we still have Oliver Skip to come back. I know he broke it. Did he break his ankle? Fractured his ankle? He... Somebody said he broke his foot, but it was not a reliable source. He just hurt his foot. Okay. He got stomped on the foot. Yeah, he's not okay. playing in Euros anyway, so it gives him the summer to recover. And yeah. you know that's a huge. Sassignon. Sassignon as well. I mean, we have he he plays the same role as Regulon, so hopefully Davies is on the way out. I mean, there's just a lot of moving pieces coming this summer. It's gonna be a fun transfer window, a really fun transfer window. But uh, you know that that wraps it us that wraps it up for us here tonight. Um, we will be back next week probably uh tuesday night uh hopefully with chris again. and three with, points in hopefully hand hopefully with th- chris three points in hand and the dream scenario is still alive the scenario that austin has put in all of our heads um can you imagine heading into the final match day against lesser fourth versus third third on the line can you imagine if chelsea it, it makes sense though this season that would that would be <laughs> fitting for how the season has has has, has turned out because what a season, dude! I've supported I've supported Spurs for ten years now. Nine this years. is about your ninth or tenth yeah. season, yeah. And never seen a season like this, never. So, I still still listen to that podcast where you say we're gonna win uh, the league. So oh, fuck you. <laughs> uh, what are we? One one loss away from Everton uh, officially being out of the top six. What are we? At? What are we at? I mean, I might as well send you. No, no, no. Now. It's a crazy league. I mean, shit, they could win their five games and be at 67 points. That's <laughs> true. I mean, it's technically true. So, <laughs> we'll wait it out. I, you know, we, 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 I'm no longer confident that Leicester's a lock. Oh, uh, really? I mean, but we're I not going to play the inside I, baseball. I would still take those odds, though. Oh, no, they're odds on favorites. They, they, if they go into final match day and needing a win... Brendan Rodgers is not – I mean, I, I actually trust Brendan Rodgers more than us. It would just I mean, I, it's it's crazy to think that they could still bottle this. I mean, um, and honestly, do you – are you going to bet on them to beat Newcastle? Are you going to put money on them to beat Newcastle? I mean, I would if the odds are in my favor. They're probably not. They're probably like – What odds favor. would you need to put money on them to beat – to, to win? Minus 150 or better. I mean, honestly, that's just, with that's, that's with 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 Saint Maximin back and Wilson playing, Newcastle are a different team when they have Shelby, Saint Maximin, and Wilson all on the pitch. Yeah, they got a red card on one of their defenders. Has been pretty good this year though against Arsenal. So I mean, it could happen. I don't even know. Is it where is it at? Where is it being played at? Does it matter in the COVID season? We'll talk about this. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Come on, you stars, baby. Austin, nothing. Come on, you <laughs> I thought you had already hit that.